Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Shifted Radio. I'm Mike. Guys, I gotta be honest, I'm really, really excited about today's episode. Uh, we have one of my oldest friends on the show. Uh, I've known her since I was four years old. We went to elementary school together. We started in the same JK class and she has gone on to become a doctor and I just continued playing sports since that day. So it's, uh, it's really, really cool um, to have uh, Dr. Dinota on the show today. Um, my old friend here uh, going off to get her PhD from York University in 2017, uh, which specialized in brain behavior and cognitive sciences in the Department of Psychology and affiliated with the world-renowned Center for Vision Research. Her dissertation research used multiple functional neuroimaging approaches and behavioral psychophysics to investigate how motor learning in the short term and expertise developed over many years of practice manifest as changes in brain and behavior. In collaboration with Canada's National Ballet, professional ballet dancers served as the expert model for her studies that have yielded important insights on how the brain differentially processes actions that are new and unfamiliar relative to the learned and embodied actions. Ooh, that's a mouthful. These patterns of brain activity are similar across all types of experts that perform complex whole body movements in response to the dynamic and ever-changing conditions of their environment. Paula is now applying her skills and knowledge in motor learning to understanding how police officers learn under various training conditions as a postdoctoral fellow in the Heart Lab at UTM. Paula's research has been published in top peer-reviewed journals in the fields of cognitive psychology and neuroscience. Presented at various national and international conferences, and has received competitive provincial and federal funding. Wow. Honestly, that is extremely impressive just to even read. But knowing the person behind it all, you won't believe how humble this person is once we get her on the line here. So without further ado, let's get Dr. P on the show. Hey, Dr. P, how are you doing today? What's up, Mike? Nothing much is going on. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well. Um, I was just uh, in the middle of reading a nice little uh, excerpt about you, and it was kind of a, a mouthful to read all these really, really technical uh, terms, but honestly, it's just quite impressive when you read all these things and see the level of experience that you have. Uh, now, you the doctor um, and knowing the person behind it all, it's really quite awesome to see the, the levels which you've gone to and, and like the hard work that I know you've put in behind the scenes. Uh, it's really quite cool to see someone who I've known for quite a long time reach mm -hmm. these kind of levels. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise for you too. I mean, uh, this is great now too, what you're transitioning into. So I'm so, so glad that we could like reconnect in this way and, and kind of find common ground too, because there's so much overlap too with all the mouthful that you gave. <laughs> I, I, trust me, I can, I can translate it into plain English, um, but uh, I, I know that's why you, uh, I, 
I believe you. That's that's why you have all those uh, letters in front of your name because you can definitely get uh, get us to understand yeah. all of the uh, the science behind it, and which is quite fascinating. I mean, I know you've been doing a ton of research on a lot of different things, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but I guess we'll give some the people a little bit of context uh, to how we know each other. For sure. uh, I, men- I mentioned that you're one of my oldest friends going back to four years old. We were in the same JK class. Yes. But, uh, yeah, we, we grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, yeah, which let's give uh, we give people a little bit of Cole's notes version of uh, of you. But let's hear yeah. a little bit about you and your background. Um, so aside from from what you heard there, yeah, definitely. We we go way back to uh, to Downsview. I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for Drake to shout out Downsview and, and one of his raps. He's neglecting, uh, neglecting our, our little spot there. But yeah, since the time nice. we were four, we grew up and you always had your hockey jackets and we're dominating mm. ball hockey in, in the yard. And so it's no, no wonder you went on to a prolific career there. But also, a fun fact that I remembered today that I was saving for this podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Fun, fun fact that I don't know if you recall, but you and I both were voted among our peers in eighth grade as the funniest male <laughs> and female. So yes. I knew I knew that this podcast would go well. I know it's going to go just fine because oh not only are we going to get to the, the seriousness, but uh, it's just great to again just to be able to talk and to shoot it again with you and then uh, oh, man. and after so many years of like you know going in in different directions really it's it's so funny how things always come back to you know common ground and where you come from and and uh and yeah so i've i've stayed in toronto more or less um all this time so i did my my undergrad at u of t in uh in psychology uh, and then did a master's and PhD at York. So really sticking along Keel Street is uh, <laughs> is how I've lived my life along the 41 route there. And uh, and yeah, and so now uh, I'm happy to uh, be back at, at the University of Toronto, but I work out of the Mississauga campus. Okay. And uh, so that's that's out kind of in Peel region. And, and that's how I've been able to kind of connect with uh, my current supervisor doing the police related research that we're doing, which I find just like super fascinating, super motivating, and also really timely too with like what's going on in you know society and politically. Yeah, You're yeah, hearing a, like in the news every single day, there's something going on with police-related uh, performance or shooting, and and it's really interesting to do the science behind it because you get to kind of dispel a lot of the myths that is mm-hmm. are you know promoted to the public, and you have a specific idea of like oh, cops are bad or they're trigger happy, but really behind the scenes, like they're, they're just people working a job too. And, uh, and they're highly trained and, and we're really fortunate to be in Canada, in Toronto, where it's actually not as, you know, as terrible a, a situation as what you hear going on in the US. So for a lot of different reasons. So it's a super complex issue. And again, to tackle it from kind of the scientific perspective, which you can't really argue like it, you know, facts are facts at the end of the day too. It's a really interesting perspective. So I'm sure we have no shortage of things to talk about. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that it's super relevant nowadays. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just what happened uh, a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A month, a little bit over a month, but you know, you can, I think the people saw like the, 
the level of um i don't know like the uh, the calm in that officer when he took down yeah. that guy like that's that's a uh, really quite impressive uh, that he has to deal with so much stress in that situation yeah. for yeah. not to pull the trigger i mean that's literally it's impossible like it's yeah. literally it's literally like the the 99.999% of police officers even other highly trained officers people that we've collaborated with and that we work with like they've contacted us as you know the scientists saying like hey like you know we heard in toronto what's going on and we saw the video we showed it uh to our officers and you know we're talking about like use of force trainers so the people that literally teach other cops how and when to shoot and make these uh you know really life or death decisions saying like you know, even me with, you know, 25, 30 years of experience, I probably would have shot that guy or, hmm. you know, things could have gone very differently in, in any other situation or with any other cop. Uh, and, and it wouldn't have necessarily been bad or wrong in that case either, because like you said, there's just such an incredible amount of stress happening in that moment that it literally changes how your brain sees what's happening like your your brain is tuned to make split second decisions so you see a guy that you know has just run over a bunch of people is you know a bad person is a threat to themselves threat to other people and they start waving something gray at you you know in some instances there's there's this phenomenon called affective realism where your brain literally sees something that might not be there. So because of the threat, because of your prior experience, you know, nine times out of 10 in the past, that gray object has been a gun. So your body and your brain know to react by shooting the guy. So the fact that this officer was able to kind of override that stress related instinct and really take the time, see what was happening, understand that this guy wasn't in the right place and show that restraint takes just so much literal brain power that's literally what it it takes for your brain to kind of take a step back and evaluate the situation and and do the right thing in the end so it's really a a testament not only to that police officer but again to training in general and i think the video and the whole circumstance was a much needed win for the cops in in times like these where Mm -hmm. you hear about too many situations where a person doesn't even have a gun they're not even waving you know a cell phone or whatever it is but just unprovoked that stress can lead to you know a a situation escalating beyond what it needs to be so uh so yeah so that's definitely a really timely and and interesting event that there's been a lot of talk about uh how how that went but definitely again a win for the good guys too that's a that's quite uh an incredible breakdown that you just had of that whole situation and you know what i get from from that breakdown is you know, it's mostly, you know, you have your, your structural training regimens and the things that will, you know, go from person to person. And and they have, you know, when you're doing your training, you have these pillars that is standards that everyone kind of, you know, they use to to Mm -hmm. measure everyone against each other. But really, when it comes down to actual performance, it really seems like it varies from person to person. And the it's what is what the the individuals are made up of you know mm-hmm. in terms of like their their selves like their actual persona that Absolutely. i think i think matters you know quite a bit in in any scenario when you're trying to perform uh, under a lot of stress 
And it, you know, kind of, that's why I really, you know, I'm really, really super curious to hear your take on it because it's, it really, it really relates to athletics, you know, really well, because when we're, when, when athletes are in performance, there's a lot of stress and, you know, it might not be, you know, physical stress in some sports, but in hockey, it is physical stress because mm-hmm. there's other people that are leaning on you and, and hitting you and it's contact totally. sport. But there's also an incredible amount of mental stress that is happening that people don't see and they don't, they don't understand necessarily. Yeah, but that, definitely. That is very, very real. Like the, the way we're constantly being assessed all the time, always yeah. and in every moment. And you magnify that by, you know, the 18,000 people that are watching at any particular time. Mm-hmm. And now with the, with the internet really reaching its uh, mature state, you can see like on social media, you know, things can really go viral quite quickly and it kind yeah. of spreads. And that just, that's another layer of all this stress. So uh, when you talk about these things, like, it really resonates quite well. Yeah, one, 100%. And whether you're talking about athletes or you're talking about uh, policing, that idea of evaluative stress, like social evaluative stress, that's such a real thing. And the same thing with, with the police officer out doing their job now everybody's got a cell phone everybody's recording this guy or or woman or officer to you know to try to see if they're going to do something wrong and and um a lot of the work that we do we actually measure um cardiovascular uh, activity so we put these portable heart rate monitors on officers they wear them under their uniforms while they're going through their training and um evaluation scenarios things like that so we can literally see, you know, what the physiological stress looks like. Um, so, you know, we have them measuring five minutes of rest in the morning. So they just come in, they're just sitting, resting. So we get kind of like a baseline measure for everybody. Mm-hmm. And even just that, just looking at, at that when they're not doing anything, they're not really thinking about anything. Uh, cops tend to have like higher resting heart rates than most people because they're just used to such a high level of either mental or physical stress, which again, it's then the second interesting thing is that looking just at a heart rate trace, it manifests itself in very much the same way. So your heart rate can go up again, whether you're going into an exam, whether you're, you know, thinking about, you know, the argument that you Mm -hmm. had with your husband or your wife or whatever, or whether you're running up a flight of stairs. So all of that, it still affects your your brain, which is directly connected to your cardiovascular system. So psychological stress, physiological stress, they manifest in very similar ways. And again, over the long term, can really you know deteriorate your health, deteriorate your performance. So in terms of separating that, like the psychological from the physical stress, you you almost can't. Uh, but the, the supervisor that I work with is Dr. Judith Anderson, who's uh, at U of T Mississauga. Uh, she's developed a resilience performance training program that uses biofeedback, um, you know, an, an app-based program that actually shows police officers too, or anyone can, can use it to see your own heart rate and to try to manage that through different breathing techniques, visualization techniques. Again, mm-hmm. very similar to what a lot of athletes use again for, for performance and resilience. So these are universal tendencies and skills because we're all human beings. We're all, you know, yeah. bound by this human body that we have that reacts to stress in, in very much the same way. And again, like untangling the psychological from the physical, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really interesting to, to delve deeper into that. But 
I totally know what you mean about the evaluation stress. That that's a yeah. very real physical uh, manifestation too. It's it's a real thing. Yeah, like you know, like the when you're when you're trying to perform and you know something's weighing you down. When they say something's weighing you down, mm-hmm. it, it's it's like quite literal, you know, people think it's like just a, you know, a metaphor, but literally it's, it's quite literal. You know, I, you can feel it because when yep. athletes say they feel heavy or they feel sluggish, it's usually because they have something that's, that's bothering them or there's something that, that's on their mind or mm-hmm. something that either they have been thinking about quite a bit, or they maybe haven't been thinking about. And it's some sort of uh, emotional trauma or, you know, something to do with the emotions and, Mm-hmm. It can basically lead to us feeling like that heaviness and, you know, it, it really, it's almost like it's weighing us down. I mean, yep. when, when I, what, what, from what I've learned in, in the past few years uh, in experiencing all these different things and trying to be really in tune with what I'm feeling and just trying to look for these markers, um, you know, I, I noticed that when the emotions are out of check or they're, they're not in balance, uh, I feel my skeletal system get thrown off quite a bit. And for mm-hmm. hockey players, for hockey players, a lot of them have issues with like hips and like, you know, always being out of balance, you know, groin mm-hmm. injuries and all that stuff. But, you know, really it, it's not like anything more than, you know, your skeletal system being out of balance and that can throw, you know, the, the signals that you're trying to get up to your brain off because maybe it's pulling your, your spinal cord. It's, it's, it's pulling the vertebrae out of, uh, out of alignment, mm-hmm. which could, you know, maybe change the, the pathways that your, your brain's getting these messages. And I, you know, I really, you know, if you could offer a little bit uh, on that, it, it might be really helpful for people because I don't think people really are thinking of things like that. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting too, because like from an athletic perspective, what you're saying, like, it sounds like you have to be so in tune with your body and your body position and have such a close awareness of so many different physical factors in addition to the strategy and the game that you're trying to play Mm -hmm. and the goals that you're trying to to meet okay i gotta get this puck in the net or keep it out of my net and that's constantly changing uh and that's that's why i love hockey so much too not only as a true canadian and (laughs) half finn but like I, i really admired the sport too because it's so fast paced and the goals that each individual player has as part of a team of people working together changes so quickly because you're on skates and you're doing something so impossible, like manipulating a tiny puck with a stick with other 200 pounds plus <laughs> guys smashing into you. Like it's impossible. It's almost, it's so impossible to think, you know, how, how you guys literally kind of dance around each other and actually get that puck in the net, tiny net, past a huge guy covered in pads like (laughs) you know looking at it from from that perspective it's so amazing like the level of skill that's involved and and again understanding like the brain and body physiology behind it how quickly things have to happen and how quickly your brain has to communicate with your body to control it and the feedback exactly like you were saying like it really you know that's what makes me like super interested in the psychology behind it and what i do and understanding pulling this stuff apart so i totally just nerd nerded out on very sorry but but it's it's just super cool to to see and what you're saying again like all of that pressure that you were talking about before you know your brain is only so big it can only do so many things at a time you can only 
divide your attention in so many ways. And it's the reason why, you know, looking at your cell phone and driving at the same time is illegal because you, you really can't do more than a couple of things at the same time. But a lot of what you're talking about and what's related to athletic skill and, and body control and embodiment is so unconscious. And with training, it becomes unconscious. So there's kind of like that initial learning period that, mm-hmm. again, for, for you guys takes years. You spend years kind of cultivating all of these skills. And so that, you know, you're not even thinking about your hip. Or you're not even thinking about where your feet are, where your hands are. You just kind of go. Mm-hmm. So even developing that expertise, that's kind of what I was focusing on uh, with my my PhD, looking at dancers, like how, how does your brain change as these things become so automatic? Uh, and it's almost like this quiet process that happens in your brain that you don't know when, there's no specific timing or there's no specific number of repetitions that any given person has to do to suddenly transition into an expert. But you know, it's just something magical that kind of happens and how your brain reorganizes itself. So Mm -hmm. again, being able to switch back and forth and understanding like, okay, well, you know, my, my hip isn't really moving the way that I want it to be. But again, your brain could be preoccupied with any number of things. Again, thinking about things at, at home in your own life, or even just the frustration of being aware that something's not going the way that you wanted to. So now you're kind of overthinking things too. So it's really interesting how even just overthinking and putting that pressure on yourself can impact your own performance too. But how do you let go? Like, how do you tell someone, oh, just relax or, oh, don't think about it. Like, <laughs> you know, how many times has somebody told you that and it just makes you more frustrated and more angry, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, well, I think yeah. that kind of relates to how prepared you are, right? And, and that if you're, if you're genuinely prepared for what you're, what you're doing and, and how you're doing it, I think even if people offer their opinion, it you can take it and you can be like, thank you, I appreciate that. But you know in your mind, like I trust myself because I'm prepared for this sort of thing. I think where people start to lose their focus is when maybe they haven't prepared quite like they should have and then they get into a situation where they need to use their skills and they're not totally confident or comfortable in using mm-hmm. those skills, but they say, you know what, I can do this. And then someone offers a little bit of opinion and there's so much, it's met with so much resistance because yeah. they really, really don't feel confident in it. They're just, they're just trying to, you know, cause maybe they don't love it or they're not emotionally connected to it. Like, mm-hmm. to be honest, like the best part of being an athlete for me is like, is practice because that's where I get to, I get to like, I love to learn. I, I think the learning aspect of the sport is way more fun than, you know, playing the games. Like, I, I love the games, don't get me wrong, right. but because that's when you have to, like, bring all your, what you practiced for, right? And, but the, the actual day-to-day stuff when you're practicing and you're, you're trying different things and you're, you're practicing with a lot of those stressors, like you have game situation type drills and yeah. you see how you are. And then it, it's almost like if you do it correctly – the games just feel easy and it's just, you know, what's happening. Yeah. You can go into the, you can go into any situation and you know, okay, this is going to happen and this can happen. And then it's like you, you get that flow state happening. Right. And then totally. once you're in that flow state, things are just kind of flowing and it's easy. It feels easy. And then, you know, good things start to happen because everyone is generally more prepared for games. But 
when people start to have issue is that when the breakdowns happen is when there's a, a, a lack of preparation in certain areas and certain aspects. And that's when pressure from the other team or an external force, that's when, you know, that's when uh, ground the per- is, performance is lost, kind of, yeah. yeah performance breaks down. Yeah. 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 That's where it breaks down. And that's how, that's how winning happens. Basically like you have two people that are going at it and going against each other and, you know, all things being equal, they should be, you know, kind of at a stalemate, but then, you know, someone discovers some imbalance in mm-hmm. someone else. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to strike and strike quickly because that's your only chance you're going to have. Right. Right. Yeah. And totally that idea of, of, you know, practice makes perfect. It's such a basic phrase, but really it's so essential for anything like nothing is done perfectly the first time around whether it's again like science or athletics or policing or or ballet like you know the universal rule is that you have to you have to practice to make perfect and really the way that that works is exactly like you said putting yourself into different types of scenarios okay what would i do here what would i do there so that your body has the opportunity to physically rehearse how that would go and and if you're able to do that, whether you're successful or not, uh, there's still a training opportunity. There's still a learning opportunity to be had because if you, you know, you successfully, you know, get get around a guy. Now, again, your your brain has formed that muscle memory of how to do that so that when you're in the game, when it comes time to pull that same move again, you've already done it. You physically practiced it. So again, the likelihood that you'll be able to do it and execute it properly and well and achieve your goal is, is much higher than if you didn't practice and you didn't have that exposure. And, uh, and a really important thing too. And like you said, one of the great things about training, it's good, it's good that you, you find it fun, but something that we were kind of discussing a little bit before to touch on too, is the idea of failure. And even if you have something that doesn't go right, it's the idea that if you, you know, hopefully you have a good coach, you have good trainers that can even turn these failures into positive learning opportunities. Uh-huh. Um, and especially Sorry. what what we find among police, too, is that, you know, they, they have very busy jobs and and training time and funding is super limited. So, uh, you know, a lot of officers may only get one day or one afternoon a year to participate in some kind of annual training. You've got one scenario to run through. And if it's a failure, that can really affect your confidence. And confidence, again, is key, especially when you're, uh-huh. you know, you're in high pressure, high stakes situations. If you're unsure of yourself, you're not confident on what you're going to do, uh, you know, performance can really break down. And again, the consequences are, you know, win or lose, life or death in some, some situations. But so even in those situations where there's a failure, and having that opportunity to kind of reassess, okay, well, what did you do? What could you have done right um, next time? And identifying strengths and weaknesses can not only kind of maintain that that breakdown in, in confidence and still teach you, still kind of mentally simulate or reinforce in, in again, that brain-body connection of what should I do next time? So that then, again, come game time, you're in that situation again. It's like, oh, okay, well, I know that I didn't do this enough, but my trainer said I should try this. And again, like there's, there's just a, a likelihood that you could do better. And that's, that's really all it takes is, like you said, at the end of the day, during the game, you have one shot. You have one chance to kind of identify an opportunity and, and take it. 
before things change again another second later. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I just, a couple things that add to that. Like, there's so much good information there that you you touched on. Um, You know, like, and at the end there, uh, we practice so, so much. So Mm -hmm. we practice whatever, whatever we're trying to do, whatever, we practice it a lot, a lot, a lot. So, and I think about my career in the macro sense, right? Like, so if I've been practicing since I was, I started playing organized hockey when I was seven years old, but I started literally playing around with hockey sticks, like from two to three years old and all the way yeah. up to, to now that's, that's 30 years of, you know, practicing. Yeah. And I, and literally what I practiced my entire life for, I got to do 22 times. That's, that's all. Like I got to play an NHL game 22 times and like the amount of reps that I've done to get to that level, like it's, it's crazy. And then you yeah. get even further when you have things like, you know, a police officer being in like a very, very high stress situation, like, you know, the one in Toronto, but even right. it doesn't have to be that one in particular, it could be any scenario where there's danger. Mm-hmm. And obviously the stress is way, way more than what we would have as athletes because it's well, you never, real... you never know. Like you, you'd be surprised because again, like, like you said, every person is very individual and, just looking at a, a brain scan or a, or a heart rate monitor or these, you know, physical levels, that stress is the same. When you have eyes on you, when in your mind too, like you on the ice, you've made it. This is one of 22 times that I have, you know, these minutes to be on the ice and I better make it count to stay here. You know, that stress response is the same. You're doing different things. Okay. You're accomplishing different True. goals. Uh, but it's it's very similar very very similar and the way that people deal with stress too like what we might think is not a big deal and touching on the mental health aspect that you said before too like something that might not be a big deal for you or me but for someone else it's like leaving the house and going to work and seeing people is freaking them out like Hmm. you know with you know having social anxiety or you know going into an exam thinking I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, that manifests itself the same as someone that has a gun pointed at them and is deciding what to do. It feels the same. So just keep keeping that in mind, if I can interject with that, <laughs> and then also the idea too that that cops aren't always in those life or death situations too, like what, what happened a month ago. Again, yes, that's yes. like a, a once in a career type of thing. And yeah. you know, if you think about police that are more in like rural areas or in in different neighborhoods and different parts around the world they might never encounter something like that so so yes they're definitely rare opportunities but when they do happen how do you prepare for them so again like going back to the idea of training like you train thousands and thousands of repetitions to be ready for that one moment and it's crazy i think i think people and this is you know, a little bit uh, to do with like the social media aspect and like maybe this, this will tie in a little bit with the mental health thing too, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's getting a lot of press right now. But, you know, I think people are, they're generally looking at it, you know, backwards. They're looking at things in like the moment, like the one moment where they should almost be looking at it in terms of like, uh, the whole body of work instead, right? Yeah, 100%. You want to look at something over the course of, you know, X amount of months 
versus what happens in one moment. Because if you're just kind of coming around and you see something happen in one moment, you're not going to get the full picture because something contextually isn't correct in that moment to Mm -hmm. tell the correct story about what that person has been going through for the last five years or, or anything like that. And I think people start to, they lose a little bit of train of focus when they're, when they're looking at other things and and other people and they're seeing things uh, in one particular moment and which is fine. Like I get it. You want to capture good moments. And I think we, we, it's a, it's a good thing to, to promote good positive messages and good moments like people do on social. But you know, when you want to understand things, you, you really have to look at it contextually and you have to see like, why is someone doing what they're doing or why is like, you know, in terms of athletics, why is this player having a good game versus this player having a bad game? What happened Mm -hmm. in in the lead up to this player having a good game today, but, you know, they didn't have a great game yesterday. What was different? And and I think people, they get, they get a little bit lost in the, you know, the moment to moment type thing. Whereas you want to look at more the whole body of work and the whole scope of what's going on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's very much like a you know the the end result tells the whole story which which is you know very misleading like you said like even a player can have a great game and then something happens towards the end and it falls apart for you know any number of reasons and Mm -hmm. people on social media everybody's an expert so people feel free to come up with their own ideas and criticisms and of, you know, ideas of why things might have broken down and, and very similar to, again, with police. I just had a, a conversation with a, a colleague who is a police use of force trainer and we're talking about decision making. And he said, like, really importantly, the end decision might not always be correct. Like even uh, like, unfortunately, if you look at the case of uh, of Sammy Yatim and with Constable Forsillo, it's a hugely complex yeah. situation. I won't even get into that because that <laughs> literally everything comes into play with that mental health and the situation that was happening around and the stress of the officer and the people around and Sammy and everything. It's a very, very unfortunate yeah. situation, but a case of where even not only, you know, was the end result the wrong decision, which the, the court found it to be that way, but even everything leading up to it, so many steps and preceding events went wrong and so in you know then completely flipping the script and contrasting with this other officer that was you know praised as a hero and showed so much restraint and had so much good training uh you know in the end he made the right decision and again the little mini steps leading up to it again i i'm not super familiar with exactly what happened in that situation but he might have actually done some things wrong but ultimately, in the end, made a good final decision. But there could have been some things before that maybe might not have been tactically correct or something like that. Again, yeah. I'm just speaking like in a very theoretical sense, not to, you know, discredit or criticize what that officer did because like I hide behind a computer and I feel perfectly safe and will continue to do so. But uh, But again, just to convey that idea that you can't judge performance only on the end result and on the, the end goal. Again, whether you got the, the puck in the net, if you did it sloppy or if you didn't really do it right, there's still an opportunity to learn 
you know, how to optimize your performance and all of the steps leading up to that. Yeah. And I think people, people are oftentimes really quick to pass a judgment in, in, you know, in the very moment, quick in the yeah. moment to moment. And when, when all they need to do is just take a second and, you know, think about it from, from a different perspective or from another perspective, and then just try to understand it because, you know, that would, that would eliminate at least half of the, you know, the remarks and then people mm-hmm. who dive deeper into it for sure. You know, there's obviously going to be people who are, um, you know, well-educated and, and in each different scenario who can go and they can offer a bit of a, a better analysis right. of, of things, but you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it doesn't have to be any particular case. Just people are really quick to pass a pass judgment on, on yeah. anything, right? Like, and, and it's just about it's just a matter of the perspective of everything that, that people need to have um, to understand maybe why you know something happened you know the way it did, and obviously exactly. you don't, we don't want bad things to happen, but you know it's just the nature of human you know, of humanity is that yep. you know we we have the choices that like, that's what makes us human. We have a choice, right? Like we can make a choice to do what, whatever we're going to choose to do. And then, you know, it's, it's whatever happens after that is the, it's, it's the post game, right? Like yeah. it's the, the post game analysis can be so in depth and this should have happened and that should have happened. But in that moment, you know, you, you make a decision so quickly and it's informed by so many things. Again, some of the things that we've been talking about, like about, you know, confidence and training and preparation that you're almost not even in control of, of the outcome sometimes. Hmm. And, and especially in, you know, highly dynamic, fast paced situations where there are other people involved, whether again, it's, you know, an opposing player or suspect or, or, you know, just an encounter that you're having, like, you know, the conversation that we're having can go in any direction, regardless of how you might want to lead the conversation. You know, you you can't predict someone else's psychology, someone else's behavior, how that dynamic interaction kind of takes, takes a situation, whether, you know, for, for the good or for the bad. So, uh, so like you said, identifying opportunities and stuff, that's, that's such a, a key component for, for athletics anyways like kind of seeing the opportunities and and taking them but but again comes with comes with training and being a, to, sure. keen to identify those things and even from there like even after something happens like whether it's you're talking athletics here whether it's like a goal for or a goal against right like it once that happens that's that is it right like that's the that's the what we would call the end result at, at that moment in that play but then you know, when we go and we do our post-game review, then there's, you know, what's next type thing. Okay, so right. it's then it's not the end. Then it's just the beginning of the next thing, right? And you can use that right. towards the, the, you know, learning how you're going to do it better for next time. And that's the context of, of it all, right? Like that's that's the only thing we can control is how we respond to what we've done previously and how we're going to do it next. And I think that, people focus too much time dwelling on what has happened instead of just saying, you know what, it's done with what's done is done. Let me move forward and and try to make it better next time so that I don't do that. Or on the flip side, so that I do do that again. Exactly. And and how was I feeling in that moment? How can I replicate that? 
Exactly. So what you just described in a nutshell is learning. That's learning. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's progress. Like that, that's as, as simple and as distilled as it can get. And that, that's exactly right. So, you know, looking at the performance and having this review feedback process, that's reinforcing. So that, that's literally ingraining physically in your brain the connections to, yes, do that again definitely do that again because it's <laughs> good and you know resulted in a goal or whatever the case and there's you know a different pattern of brain activity that says no 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 don't ever do that again or you know yeah. the next time you see that coming your way you know do this or do that so again identifying that even the failures as a learning opportunity is key because yeah. even with the one goal well that's good for one team but bad for the other one so again taking that failure and turning that into a positive learning opportunity, that's just as important as reinforcing the good on the good side. Yes, exactly. That's so true. So why don't you why don't you describe a little bit about what you did this past year or the past couple of years here with uh, with the police force in, in uh, Finland, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually really the most recent kind of stuff that that I personally got to engage in, which was really fantastic. Um, but my uh, my supervisor, I mentioned uh, Dr. Anderson, she's been collaborating with uh, with the people, the good folks over in Finland for the last four to five years. Um, and uh, so working not only with the uh, police force there, which uh, they, they kind of have like a centralized policing academy it's actually like a university college where where is this so it's actually in Tampere in Finland so about two hours north of Helsinki you may be familiar with it because I know people in the hockey world know a lot about (laughs) Finland but other people are like Finland like where's well one of our one of our friends uh one of the our coaches here and uh an athlete Blake Parlett he played on Tampere uh, last season not this past season the one before and he won a championship there uh last year so there you go uh, yeah, we have some have some friends over there in Finland. So you've got connections. Yeah, you've got connections there too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we know some people all over the world, I would say. <laughs> nice. nice. No, that, that's awesome. And for me, again, like my mother being from there, I speak the language. Like I, you know, grew up going there and visiting there and, you know, just transitioning from PhD to an independent professional thinking, okay, I've been in school all this time. Now I need to find myself a job. Uh, you know, very intimidating applying for jobs. And, you know, Mm. I appreciate you bigging me up with, you know, all of the, all of the recommendations. But at the end of the day, like I was still facing unemployment and, you know, looking for somewhere to, to fit my skill set, And, you know, just so happened to come across. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta stay humble. You gotta stay humble. It's, it's it's a Finnish and Canadian and very Catholic trait as we grew up. So Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to escape that, but, you know, coming across Dr. Anderson's name and seeing on her website that she's, you know, worked with like police in Finland and also with their uh, elite special forces uh, SWAT team. It was like lightning bolts, like, oh, my God, this is like a crazy coincidence and connection. So reaching out to her, it just happened to be a great fit, great timing for both of us. And uh, I started working with her a year ago, but she's done uh, a few years of other really great work working with those guys developing like i said it's called iprep 
anyone is interested, okay. I can plug it a little bit. If you look oh, yeah, up, we'll we'll put some uh, we'll put some links to that kind of put stuff. Put some and, links, yeah. yeah. Look up uh, proresilience.org, and so it's basically a performance resilience training program, like I said, uh, that's tailored to police officers and first responders. But again, it teaches skills that anyone under you know high pressure situations or dealing with any kind of stress can uh, can really utilize and implement. Uh, but it's basically a training course that, again, it emphasizes an awareness of your physical stress response. So being an athlete like yourself, like you're already in tune with that. You're already trained to kind of pay attention to your body. How is it reacting? But a lot of us in you know the regular day-to-day, you don't pay attention to these kinds of things. You're not really consciously aware of how much just your heart rate your breathing rate can Mm. affect your moment to moment performance and your burnout throughout the day or over the long term so a lot of these uh, skills that she's training they're really practical it's based in science but it's not rocket science you know everybody (laughs) knows how to breathe breathe every day but there are different ways to train yourself and to train your body to do so in a more optimal way uh, yes. totally unconsciously and in a way that really promotes recovery as well. So not only being in those high stress moments, but how do you come down from that? How do you get back to your resting state, your optimal resting state? So that again, you're ready to meet the de- demands of the next situation. Um, so, so she's done again, a lot of great research with them. And I had the opportunity to go over there in March uh, for a couple of weeks to, uh, to look at how this uh, IPREP training program might work for police officers that were training to be kind of in like a critical response unit. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a central command that, uh, you know, they really direct kind of the flow of traffic of things. There's a really critical call that comes in, like a school shooting or something like that. And these individuals are the ones that have to make the decision of who goes where and who responds when, dealing with a lot of incoming information, uh, you know, under really stressful conditions and having to make split second decisions. So, uh, so we haven't looked at that data yet. We're still working on publishing a ton of stuff that looks at um, the physiology related to behaviors uh, and uh, like not just shoot, no shoot behavior. But in this case, we're going to be looking at different types of decision making that police have to make. So it's a really cool new direction that we're taking things in. Uh, we also have some other research that looks at how implicit bias like racial bias things like that might affect not only the physiology but also the decision making so that's a really interesting uh, area of research that again the media or our public is maybe swayed to to think one thing that oh the police are you know just biased against one group of people but then looking at the actual objective data that's not actually the case they're not you know trained to to shoot people of a specific color or not uh, so we're really hoping to try to get some of these results out there to, again, to try to dispel some of the more media-driven uh, uh, perspective, perspectives on policing, but really looking at evidence-based. Like That's the, yeah. the fundamental take-home point about the research that I'm doing with, with Dr. Anderson, that it's evidence-based, so that the, you know, the facts don't lie, the physiology doesn't lie, and, uh, and that's what we really want to promote. Absolutely. I mean, police officers are not, I guarantee you, police officers are not signing up to, uh, you know, be prejudiced towards any one type of thing. They're, they're just trying to do the best they can and protect everybody. I think that's yeah. what they sign up for, right? Like, 
that yeah, they all been... they all know what they're they're getting themselves into, um, right? And I think that it's pretty sad that you know some people pick up on certain stories and then they you know media. Yeah, it's not even media; it's just like mass media of like the people mm-hmm. kind of reposting and then obviously like we were talking about before, offering their opinion uh, really quickly and passing a, a judgment really quickly when they don't care to examine the whole context of the yeah. whole situation, right? Like, and that's, it's really, really important. And especially when there's other people's, you know, lives at risk too, it's important to understand the context of the whole situation because uh, obviously you have things that can get carried away and, you know, yeah. people, people generally know when, you know, something, it doesn't seem very right. And when people are not coming from a good place you can kind of get that like you you get that but it's more um you know as a collective that i'm I'm more referring to and i'm sure that you're kind of referring to too because there's obviously several different nuances when it comes to person to person there can be a lot of differentiation between people but as a collective Mm -hmm. force they're trying to do the right thing all the time right for sure that's 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 their job and you know traditionally you know, you you look at firefighters and police officers as as heroes. They're the protectors. They're the people that mm-hmm. you know catch catch the bad guys and preserve uh, you know the the good and bad of society. But now there's been such a, a shift in in the conversation and in the perspective that it's really unfortunate because again, these men and women like this is the job that they take on for for various reasons, and it's not an easy job and they're still human beings at the end of the day. Like they're, you know, mothers and fathers and, and, and family members, they have families too. And, and, uh, and stress impacts them and trauma impacts them as well. So, um, so I'm really liking uh, this area of research and being part of it and seeing that side and seeing how, you know, they, they do take their job so seriously and, obviously they don't want to fail like no cop shows up to their shift hoping or thinking that they're going to shoot somebody today or that you know something can possibly (laughs) go wrong absolutely not so that's that's what they train for and that's what they uh you know prepare themselves for as as best as they can but again sometimes bad situations happen you find yourself in a situation that is out of your control and despite your best training uh you know the person might you know jump jump off the bridge like you and again you've done everything right leading up to that step according to your training according Mm -hmm. to your personal skills but at the end of the day if that person that other person has decided and they've made up their mind well i'm gonna do x then you know the the outcome is what it is and it's really unfortunate then to judge that person not, and not only judge that person on that outcome, but police officers are also, they're liable, like they're criminally liable for what they do, which again, it's, it keeps them accountable. It keeps people from, mm-hmm. you know, being vigilantes and taking yeah, justice into their around. own hands. Yeah, shooting but, people. But uh, at the end of the day, um, sometimes they, they have to use force. Sometimes they have to shoot people because mm-hmm. that's that's the nature of their job and that's what we as society have entitled them to do. They have a gun and a badge for a reason. So it's, it's definitely a tough job that, that, you know, they catch a ton of criticism. And I think professional athletes are, are a lot the same way because you think, Oh, well, you're, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Like you should never screw up. 
or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be like DeRozan, like missing of, you know, of, of, you know, from the foul line, like what's wrong with you? Like, you know, everybody gets so tied yeah. up in it and you're, you're so invested in it, you know, sitting there on your couch, eating your nachos, but really like you have to understand, you know, what that individual person is going through and what's going through their mind, how it's communicating with their body. It's like, it's so incredible. The amount of pressure in those moments. So yeah, yeah so definitely, looking at the macro level, like beyond just the final outcome, beyond just that initial moment is hard to do. And that's probably why most people don't do it because it's, mm-hmm. again, it's easier to show that viral video of, of the end result, but totally there's so many things leading up to an event. And again, what happens after? So, like I said, this idea of, of recovery as well is crucial for police officers because even after a traumatic event, uh, you know, their, their shift isn't over. Like they continue on and they might have a few more hours to do and have to go on to do something. And if Mm -hmm. your mind is still running through, you know, something super traumatic that you just saw or experienced, or you failed and you weren't able to get that guy off the ledge, but now you've got to go and go to a house party and there's a bunch of kids being super loud and rowdy and you're freaking out. You might pull out your gun and start threatening people that are not really that big of a threat. And there are literally incidences of, of this happening and examples, uh, you know, on, on YouTube and stuff that you can find. But you don't know that that officer that's overreacting and freaking out just had a terrible day, just uh-huh. had a terrible shift. And again, the same thing with with the athlete. Like, you know, there's, you know, somebody's not performing on the ice, but maybe they have a sick kid at home or maybe, yeah. you know, their their mom or their dad just died or something. You know, there's there's so much context that that goes into any individual's performance that it's so easy to overlook, but it completely informs what, what happens. Yeah. That's yeah. The context of it all is, you know, so, so key. I remember um, one of the, one of, you know, my favorite coaches I ever had, I played for Guy Boucher and he was in, uh, in Tampa and in Hamilton, but we had this, he, he was really, really good. He had a, I think he had five different degrees, but I think he had his master's in psychology. And he, we had, we had did a lot of different, uh, you know, peer evaluation type stuff, but, you know, he had this one chart where it was basically a self-esteem chart and, you know, we had to fill it out every single Monday, I think it was. So after the weekend and it was, it had no correlation to like hockey. It was just, you had to put in uh, a check mark um, on, one two or three check marks on how you were doing like a pers- mm-hmm. personally away from hockey and i'll never forget you know uh seeing some guys come in you know you see like guys who had like a really good weekend maybe they had like we had two games and they had like three goals or four goals on the weekend mm-hmm. and you're thinking like oh that guy had an awesome weekend he comes in and he you know he puts one check mark down and you're like what is going on and then that's, you know, then you start to think of it like, okay, you know, maybe something was, you know, going, going on at home. Mm-hmm. You don't know about, right. And then that would be the the coach's signal to go and be like, maybe have a, a conversation with them. Like, Hey, you're doing okay. And that's the level of care that he had for his players. And I really, yeah. really like that. And, you know, for Guy, like he is one of the coaches that like, for sure, I would like run through a wall for it because the, the amount of, you know, good things that that, guy did for for his players uh, he just he was just really really a smart smart guy but he was also just a, a better human 
uh, yeah. human being because he just just cared about the person. And I, and I feel like he's inspired so much of what I'm trying to do here and what we're trying to do here that, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that level of uh, professionalism, I guess, or, you know, that level yeah, of care he of, has to his people. Yeah. And just being in tune with, with that level of emotion. So you, it's funny, you started off saying like, Oh, it has nothing to do with hockey, but in fact, psychological mind trick right there, it has everything to do with hockey. Whatever you're bringing to the locker room, to the ice, that has a direct impact on how you're going to perform. So it's, that's really amazing and insightful on, on the part of that coach and just speaks to how much of a difference good coaching, good training yes. can make by having an individual that is just in tune with these kinds of ideas that it's not just mechanical skills and drills that you're, you know, hammering into, you know, the person that you're trying to train, mm-hmm. but understanding that context and, and, uh, and everything that we've been talking about, like, you know, why does that guy put one check? And, you know, if he's coming into practice or a game with low confidence because his mind is preoccupied with something else that for sure is going to affect their performance. So again, a good coach, a good mentor will, will be in tune with that and will take the time to really, you know, get to know the, the players and talk them through and, and coach them through. So, and that goes with teaching too. Like I'm sure if, you know, if people remember whether they had good professors or good teachers in you know, elementary school or high school, it's people that are really in tune with not only what's going on, you know, on your test or like what, what you're putting down on paper, but really being in tune with that emotion and with what the context might be of, you know, where this person is coming from. Yeah. And like, that's so awesome. You know, to talk about that kind of stuff, it, you, you have, you, you remember how people make you feel, right. And like for me, I mean, yeah. I know we were in the same class in grade eight, but the way, you know, Mr. C made us feel like he was, he cared, he's the he, best. he cared about it. He really, really genuinely cared about us. And he, is he was he always cared about everybody that he came in contact with and yeah and like he on the last day the last five minutes of school he read us the you know the doctor shoes so the places you'll go and it was so it just got me right like because yeah i'm just one of those people who like you know i i just felt things like that and i and i knew i could like it was already for me it was predetermined that i was gonna make it in hockey because i i like I believed it so much that like, I just, everybody was, believed it. it there was everybody no, believed it. There was no other way for me. Right. Like I, I yeah. was, and there was no plan B. It was just plan A and, and plan A. Like that's, that's right. You know, that's, that's how it was going to be. And I, and I felt like that moment really carried me my entire hockey career because yeah. every time I thought about like where I was and like what, what I wanted to achieve, I always, refer back to that moment and, and what I felt in that moment was incredible. Um, he made me feel inspired in my own self, but also, you know, doing it for some other purpose outside of me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, no, a, that's, that's, was a really, that's really cool fantastic. moment. You know, that's yeah, no, totally. Sure. And, and those moments come at, at different times from different people. And, and I think I'm a lot the same way too. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of new, like, you know, I, I liked the idea maybe of being a doctor, mm-hmm. but then when, you know, you go through high school and again, you have some teachers that really make a difference. Like I, I had a, you know, 
another Mr. C that was like super influential. The first psychology course that I took, it's like, oh, this type of science is super interesting and understanding the mind and the brain as opposed to, you know, doing like the straight math, biology, physics, chemistry. I was like, this is boring. If this is what it takes to become <laughs> a doctor, screw this. Like, I'm, I'm not down for this. Like, just, you know, that that it wasn't enough of a calling for me. But then really discovering this other type of science there's another way to kind of you know be in tune with understanding how do people work how do interactions work how does your brain control your body and what you perceive and what you believe and what you think and people like yourself like you can be so convinced of an idea and so determined for something uh whereas other people are so convinced that you know i'm the queen of england and we call (laughs) that a delusion we call that person (laughs) is you know out of their mind how but, close is, is delusion to belief? Like, I feel like there, there's a really oh, blurry man. line there. It's very. a very, very blurry line because I feel like people would look at me when we were younger and be like, oh, he's delusional. But I, you know, now I'm just like, maybe I was a little bit, but yeah. not, you know, like I just genu- genuinely believed like that I was going to do it. Like there was just no other way. And the difference is too, like you also, like you also have the physical capability like you were always the you know in the back row of the class picture (laughs) back row middle (laughs) representing and so like you Mm. you have even like this the the predisposition like Mm. somebody you know unfortunately and that's not to say that you know people with disabilities or that are born with physical disadvantage can't overcome that and still, you know, excel in athletics or in anything that they want to do. Absolutely not. Right. But for you to be where you are, not only did you have that mental drive, but you had the physical capability as well. You had the resources. You had your, your family supporting you. Um, and, you know, so that determination isn't so delusional because it's not within, like, outside of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. But me being, you know, saying, like... I want to be a bunny rabbit. And if you actually (laughs) like my three-year-old self was so obsessed with Bugs Bunny. When you asked me, Paula, what do you want to be when you grow up? My very first response, I want to be a bunny rabbit, (laughs) which is a cute answer for a three-year-old. But when you're, you know, in your twenties and thirties and, you know, wandering the streets of downtown Toronto, telling people I'm going to be a bunny rabbit, it's not so cool anymore. So that's, that's when it starts to kind of become a delusion of things that are not possible. And you're kind of out of tune with reality and what's possible. And that's a whole, you know, interesting area. And looking at, you know, when things in the brain go wrong, looking at abnormal psychology, like that was some of the most interesting stuff that I kind of dabbled in uh, when, when I was doing my mm-hmm. studies, but also, uh, like working and volunteering uh, at CAMH, so the Center for Addiction and Mental Health that yeah. we have here in Toronto, which is mm-hmm. you know a fantastic facility, multiple sites across the city, specializing in all different types of uh, psychological mental health disorders. It was really, really fascinating, but it was it's also incredibly intimidating too, because again, you see the human being, you see this person that for whatever reason, they're so convinced of something or, you know, they act so erratically and so violently and unpredictably that, again, it's very threatening. It's very scary. Uh, So I personally, just the same way that I don't have what it takes to be a police officer, to have what it takes to be a psychologist in the sense that, you know, I'm the therapist, I have someone sitting on, on my couch 
and I'm giving them therapy, that's what people automatically assume when I tell them that, oh, I'm a psychologist. Even my parents, my own mother didn't realize <laughs> until she came to my master's defense and was like, oh, this is what you're doing. Oh, that's what you do. It's like, you know, the, the idea is, you know, of a psychologist is a Sigmund Freud, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of different avenues and things that you can do. And especially in research, it's like, you know, an unlimited number of things that you can look at. But I think it really takes a special person, again, to be in tune with what's happening in these individuals because it's so unpredictable. And, and again, like even me being in this medical slash scientific profession, I still have that hesitation towards, you know, wanting to really delve, delve deep into these issues because, because it is so unpredictable. We don't really understand what's, what's happening in the brains, in the minds of these people. So it's such important work and it's so important that these conversations are happening and it's great to see now there are a lot of uh you know i see these commercials and movements of different athletes talking about mental health because again it doesn't have to be as extreme as having paranoid delusions but you know day to day one in four canadians face some aspect of depressive or uh, anxious um disorders whether it's diagnosed or not like that's a lot of people that's most people like yeah. there's four people living in a house that that's somebody or yeah. that's somebody you know if not yourself so not being able to you know talk about these things only makes things worse so so it's it's absolutely an important thing to to consider and to uh and to to have this dialogue about for sure and i you know with respect to the uh the mental health thing like i'm i'm definitely all for like promoting the uh you know people talking about it and and getting on board and 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 starting to you know spread the conversation and you know allowing people to you know talk openly about what they're going through i think it's i think it's really great um i think we just we need to just focus in a little bit more on like the actual actions around you know supporting people and and helping people like with calls to action for things that they can actually do. So like, yeah. instead of like, you know, saying, Hey, talk about what you're going through all the time. Maybe it's like, Hey, like uh, I, I'm going to hold open the door for this person because you never know what that person's going through. Right. Or just yeah, honestly, just, just saying hello to somebody, you mm-hmm. know, like when somebody may be having a, a terrible day and you just say hello to them and, you know, kind of like changes their mood a little bit or, you know, offering some sort of support uh, for somebody, whether it's, you know, financial or, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything, whether you give a homeless person some money, like it, it, yeah. it really, it really is, it is nothing more than just doing good things, really, that's, yeah. you know, people try to overanalyze it, but it's very much just, just doing good things for people. Yeah. I think, I think that's something we really need to emphasize more, because it's, it's a practical approach and, and it's actually things that could actually make a difference, right? Like, you know, talking about it will be great and it, it'll give people a platform and it'll bring more attention to it. But then how can we go a step further and actually support these people, you know, maybe give them calls to action. Like, Hey, just, if you're not feeling good, why don't you go and, you know, do something nice for someone else? Because I guarantee yeah. you, you're going to feel exponentially better if you do that. For sure, for sure. And just like you said, creating an environment, then that c- kind of propels itself and creates an environment of 
openness and of caring where someone then might feel comfortable to, you know, approach somebody and actually speak out. Whereas if, you know, we're all kind of so focused on ourselves and, you know, not really being kind to other people or even decent to other people, uh, then again, that environment doesn't exist. And there isn't an opportunity maybe for somebody to, to, to speak out or, and whether it's even speaking specifically about how they're feeling or just talking about something else, like talk about sports, have a conversation yeah. exactly like we're having, like, exactly. you know, yeah. this is, this is stimulating stuff and just will make somebody feel better and kind of distract them away again from these negative thoughts that, yeah. that they're having because uh, that they're having, because again, a lot, a lot of the, the, uh, like the underlying physiology of these depressive and, ex- and anxious symptoms is just like a negative feedback loop in your own head mm-hmm. that you can't help it and you just keep thinking oh yeah, I'm no good this isn't good because you you almost need something else something distracting something yeah. outside of you're yourself focusing to pull on you all out of the that. bad your, your yeah. body's trained to see all the bad stuff are you familiar with the the positive tetris effect something like that positive tetris effect no yeah it's, well basically i just it was in a it was just something that i read in, in a book uh it's called the happiness advantage uh mm-hmm. by sean anchor um and yeah it got me at the at the right time you know my yeah my wife my wife got it for me over uh the christmas you know she got it for me for christmas you know i was really it was uh i think it was a 2012 2013 season i was in a route you know i was in a funk and mm-hmm. to be honest i was having a you know, a tough first half of the season, I was kind of in and out of the lineup and I had only yeah. had like eight points, you know, by Christmas time. And, um, there was a lot going on. Like we were getting, we were getting married that year, that ne- mm-hmm. next year. And, you know, my wife, my wife's mom had just had a reoccurrence of, you know, uh, she had two grand mal seizures and she, cause she's been, I mean, she's had, you know, brain cancer for 14 or 15 years now. Oh, uh, wow. Grade four, like she had, uh, glioblastoma stage four but that was that's besides the fact but anyway she had a recurrence of it and it my wife uh, we weren't living together at the time because she was back home and i was away for the season and it was it was a lot of sounds horrendous mike what you're describing to me makes me want to cry for you because that's and and again these are things that people face every day so thank you yeah well it did to be honest like you know like it, it 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 brought uh, it brought a lot of you know unrest to our family because you know my wife is is at home trying to save money working so that we can get married the next year right and, and like she's dealing with her mom possibly not making it to our wedding and, yeah and, you know it's a really difficult thing to deal with when you're together let alone when you're apart and then you have 100%. to deal with all this stuff and then I'm trying to focus on playing hockey. Yeah. And like, it's just leading me down this bad path. And, you know, one day I finally went into the coach's office and I really, honestly, I just broke down and I just told him, I'm like, listen, this is what I'm dealing with. Like, I yeah. understand like my performance has been not what you want it to be, but you know, this is what I'm dealing with. I- I'm sorry. I- and I'll be better. Uh, I'll try not to let it affect me. And just at that same sort of time at Christmas, my wife is the one who actually got me the book. Mm-hmm. Um, right like that, that's you know she's dealing with all this stuff being around and she's giving like she's supporting me and like my wife's awesome that's, she, that's she kicks she's ass a keeper. exactly she's a keeper mike yeah exactly she kicks ass you know but nice. she uh you know she got me this book and and i read it and basically what the positive tetris effect is is just it's just basically writing things down to get mm-hmm. you to think of the good stuff right that's really 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 what kicked off this 
whole, um, you know, starting with this idea of shifted and, and all, you know, shifting your mindset was, mm-hmm. you know, training your mind to think differently by, you know, consciously making the effort to think differently. And so, you know, I, every day I would, at the end of the day, I would write stuff down, like, okay, like, you know, little things, like very, very yep. little things, like anything, anything, something like, you know, someone held the door open for me, or, you know, I, you know, I bagged my groceries with, with, uh, a, re, a sustainable bag instead of a plastic bag, like that kind of yeah. stuff, like very, very small, you know, irrelevant details, but that was training me to think of things, you know, in a, in a better way and, and to see the mm-hmm. positive stuff. I got to be honest with you from the end of January till, sorry, from the beginning of the season in, in October till September or till January, like mm-hmm. I had eight, I had eight points in like 30 something games in the next. Yeah. And in the second half of the year, I had my best season ever I finished with uh 40 points and it was literally because I just started thinking of things that made me more happy incredible it's it's it's, and it's so it's it's like it's my story of like how you know sports relates to real life but it just and then it propelled me to dive deeper like okay this worked like okay what about it worked yeah what about it worked right so like then yeah. I was like, okay, how can I marry the, you know, the, what I was feeling with the factual, the number type stuff? And how does that come together? And yeah. that's kind of how Shifted came to be. That's awesome. No, that is so cool just to hear too, like how, how this podcast and this idea and this, this journey that you're on now, where that started from. And, and again, it's, it's from failures, from the lowest point sometimes that you can only go up and you have to move up and having that willpower, that inspiration within yourself and from your wife and from your family. That's fantastic. That That's really inspiring. And, and again, there's so many people, like everybody has something like everybody mm-hmm. has something in their life that, you know, yeah. they feel is holding them back, whether it's, you know, some health related issue or a relationship or someone in their family is, is, uh, is sick or not doing well. Like that impacts us directly 100%. So, just fundamentally this idea of having to train your brain. So you as a highly trained athlete, you can still train yourself to do other things to develop other patterns of, of thinking. And it's, and it's never too late. Like the misconception yes. too is like, mm-hmm. Oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's absolutely not true. Nope. Your brain can totally rewire itself and shape absolutely. itself at any point, And especially, you know, dealing with stress and dealing with trauma it can so easily send people down a downward spiral. But, you know, having that fortitude to, you know, take it upon yourself to take those small steps and to, you know, just find the good things or find positive things in every day. That's so hard to do, but that's, you know, a fundamental, uh, fundamental facet of like cognitive behavioral therapy again mm-hmm. we want to slap like f- fancy jargon onto these things but it's no but literally it's so just, important for people need to know that yeah it's really like you you said and like we've been talking about boiling it down to just finding the good in things mm-hmm. being a good person to other people like being decent to other people like these are ways that we can kind of make actionable um all of the changes that that we want to happen with regard to mental health like it seems you know easy to just say like yeah we need to have these conversations but 
like you said, the conversations don't mean anything if there's no action. Like, mm-hmm. what can you actually do? And I think that's that's where a disconnect happens. That people are like, well, like, what does that mean? Having a conversation. Like, I don't think it's particularly helpful to talk to somebody that's dealing with depression to say like, oh, tell me about your depression. Tell me how you're <laughs> feeling. It's like, well, now you're putting yeah. the person on the spot and it's super uncomfortable. So that obviously doesn't work. So what does it mean to have that conversation? So again, like things that worked for you. And I think this conversation for sure will help at least one person listening yeah. out there that, you know, starting with something small and especially the idea of gratitude as well, like being yes. thankful for the opportunities that we have. And especially in, athletics as well uh but that's something that in you know in a lot of families it's not an attainable thing that's very expensive especially professional hockey you know being you know part of the gthl here in in toronto Mm -hmm. my my husband grew up playing hockey and his younger brother and now they're referees actually so now they've turned into the bad guys and catch (laughs) catch all kinds of uh Uh, they get a bad rap but they're pretty good guys they they get a bad rap too but you know just seeing how uh you know neither one of them ended up playing professionally but the skills that they developed and and the gratitude that they have also for their their parents and being able to afford them that opportunity and you know spending tons of money on just the registrations the equipment the mm-hmm. tournaments the practices it's you know it's a huge investment but at the end of the day you're teaching someone this skill set so exactly you know what what allowed you to pull yourself out of that bad situation is the discipline is the training that you have and this drive that you have to want to help other people and now utilize this experience that you've had and, and turn it into a positive for other people. That's all thanks to the 30 plus years of hockey training that you've you've had. So it's it's really amazing to see you turning this around in a positive way for other people and trying to help other people. And and that's what I hope to do, too, like all these years of university and schooling and stuff that I've done, what it's done is trained me to kind of delve deeper and ask questions that I feel are important that I feel are interesting mm-hmm. that really get to the fundamental of, you know, why do we think the way that we do or why do we act the way that we do sometimes? And, you know, understanding that from an evidence-based perspective, like what do the facts say? Yeah. What does the biology say? And that doesn't lie. Cause people can lie, but you know, what, what do the facts say at the end of the day or, you know, what worked for you? Like no one can, can dispute that. So yes. again, that, that might be of insight to somebody else and that can really for help sure, somebody else. For sure. It, you know, it's very easy to ask the questions, but it's a lot harder to actually do the work and put into practice and watching right. what, what you've been able to do and achieve has only come because you've been willing to put in that practice and you've been willing to do things that, you know, most other people like 9.9 other people 9.9 out of 10 other people aren't willing to do Mm -hmm. because it's hard it just is hard and that's the that's the point it's not it's not supposed to be easy because if it was easy you know as a cliche say goes everybody would do it but it's not that's that's why you're you are here now you know doing what you're doing and yeah no i think it's i think it's amazing you know what you've been able to do thus far. And I'm really, really excited to see what you're going to be doing. So maybe let's take this opportunity to call to, you know, some attention, some of the things that, you know, you feel pretty strongly for, and, you know, 
what are you going to be, you know, getting up to in, in the next, you know, phase of your career? Mm-hmm. Well, in the immediate phase, um, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I'm about seven weeks away from, uh, <laughs> from having our, my first child. Yeah. Which is, like, that's a whole other phase that I know you as a father also to a young boy can probably educate me about uh, a lot more than I like I have no idea what's about to happen in seven weeks <laughs> so uh, so that's like a whole other life transition change that is again 100% will impact the way that my career goes but mm-hmm. uh, all things considered you know I, I really uh, I hope to be able to continue to collaborate with uh, with the the good people in in Finland at the police university college. We definitely have plans to in the short term. So within the next couple of years, um, you know, keep investigating police decision-making with physiology, Uh, my background in neuroscience. I hope to really be able to integrate looking at what's happening in the brain. How does that affect, you know, the cardiovascular system? How does that affect the decision-making um, and onward from there, who knows if I can, you know, land myself a sweet professor position somewhere and, mm-hmm. you know, be able to continue to conduct research. The professors. And, yeah, the professors and, and, you know, continue asking important and interesting questions and also teaching people and educating students and inspiring them to come up with their own questions and figuring out how to answer them in the best way possible. That's generally kind of see where I see my career going but it's you know it's also super exciting to think of starting a family as well and mm-hmm. maybe you as again the the, the expert here relative to me <laughs> if you can give me some advice like if there's one thing that I need to know in the first year or approaching you know even just the labor like I don't know what the hell is going to happen but oh man what, I think, uh, what advice do you have for me? Oh boy. Um, but I know it's it a is, tough one. it is the most hard work you're ever going to do, but it's going to be the happiest you're ever going to be. So like, it's, it's the best thing ever. Honestly, it's the greatest. You're, you're going to love it and you're going to, yeah. you're going to crush it. You're going to be awesome at it for sure. For sure. Well, well, there's, there's going to be the next generation now of, you know, our, our crew that we had in elementary school and yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, having kids and having yeah. boys, especially. I know like, it's crazy, fact, right? Even that I'm having a boy too. We're definitely wow. going to have like a, a, a lineup, like a it's first, amazing. first, uh, first line <laughs> team going. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's amazing now just, you know, being at this stage of our lives and being able to kind of reconnect and reminisce on things is very, very cosmic, very trippy, but I'm really yeah. grateful for uh, serendipitous, for right? Like, yeah, no, honestly, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I think this was this, so cool. This has been my favorite uh, episode that I've done to date, and it's going to take a lot to surpass it. Um, maybe when you come back on the show, uh, then we'll try to surpass it again. But honestly we'll see uh, we'll see that i have more more insights and and more updates a lot more work to do uh until that point but yeah i'm looking forward to seeing what what more you have uh on on the uh the shifted shifted podcast yeah i think uh 
I think that uh, we're just getting started. You know, like I think this is awesome. going to be really, really fun. I really like doing it. Um, I hope that you know people are getting some value out of it, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that you should start a podcast, and I will be your first subscriber. <laughs> I've thought I've thought about it, and a good friend, a friend of mine, that we again have like hilarious, candid conversations together. We always say like, "Man, we should do a podcast." And I think, who would listen to it? Who wants to listen to what I have to say? Everybody. Again, like, once it once the people hear this episode, they're going to love it. It's going to catch. It's going to be fire. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that hey, listen, we didn't win that award back back in uh, in the day for being the the funniest people in school for for hey, no reason. Helped. So. Yeah, we got to put that to good use. Yeah, I hope it came in handy. But yeah, definitely. And to end off, I think what the thread of this conversation has been too that nothing, nothing easy is worthwhile. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, you know, what's what's painful, what's hard, the, you know, the road less taken, that that's what's really fulfilling and satisfying at the end of the day. And as the two of us being fortunate enough to do what we have fun doing and what we actually enjoy yeah. doing yeah, uh, love it. is something that, yeah, something that I'm super grateful for. And again, I think that translates into our performance and what we've been able to achieve in our different realms. So hopefully that's something that, uh, that people listening can take away, like do what you love because it's just very intrinsically motivating. You don't have to think about it. You can just do what you love every day. And, and, uh, and that positivity is, is, just you know it's going to propel propel you towards success yeah so. absolutely do what you love to do like i listen to uh gary b's podcast gary vaynerchuk i listen to it uh, often and he often says you know it's uh it's a lot more fun to die on your own sword than it is to die on someone else's sword so for sure you know you can you can just as easily fail uh doing what someone else wants you to do so you might as well do things that are going to make you happy you know exactly exactly so. So, well, it's been, it's awesome. It's been awesome to have you on the show. It's Dr. been a P. slice. Yes. Where, uh, where can people find you and follow you and make sure that they stay in touch? Uh, especially once you get that podcast up and rolling. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I'll see what, you know, seven weeks from now, what that's going to allow me to even have the energy to do. Uh, but if people want to find me, uh, I'm, I'm in Downsview. Like I'm, I'm still here. Like I didn't, I never went anywhere. <laughs> do you have some have, sort of uh, social media that uh, people can follow I, you at or a blog or anything like that? I have, or? I have, uh, yeah, I have LinkedIn, Paula oh, Dinora. Awesome. You can, you can find me there. I do have a blog. I actually have a blog that That's I it. haven't updated in a while, but it's actually called Paula's peace of mind dot blogspot dot com. I think. All right. Um, we'll link that out. And it's just been, you know, former musings and advice and tips and there's some very technical stuff like you know some like statistical problems that I had and I went crazy scouring the internet and I thought I will just post this and put this out into the universe so that you know someone else in my situation I'm just giving them like a lifeline and a glimmer of hope and I've had actually some pretty nice responses from that other things are just like travel or um, you know, food pictures, like things, things that interest me, but with some words to it beyond just, you know, an Instagram picture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something that maybe somebody is interested in looking at, maybe not, it's fine. Um, but I'm always happy to, you know, answer people's questions about science or 
anything like that. So if anyone reaches out to you to, to shift it a hundred percent, direct them my way. Uh, I'm always happy to have, you know, these kinds of conversations about science and interesting things that affect all of our lives. So yeah, yeah. So this has been super and, fun. And the world of neuroscience is uh, just getting started and people oh, yeah. really should be taking, uh, taking note of what's going on in the, uh, in the biohacking world and the world of neuroscience and, and all yep. these different things that are coming. And, and there's a lot of biohackers out there that are doing a lot of cool stuff. And, and there's a lot of people like you who are doing a lot of practical research and putting mm-hmm. out good information. So people need to take note. What, just before we leave off, what is your number one uh, thing that you would recommend to people if they want to perform a little bit better tomorrow? Wow performing better tomorrow so you know talking about immediate improvement in performance um i would say it just takes practice but again you might fail at practice tomorrow uh but don't take that as a defeat don't take that as oh well you know i tried at something but i failed so i'm just gonna give up so again going back to this idea of of failure being something completely insurmountable it can't get past it and this is something that you and i chatted about before that we didn't delve into too much on the podcast so i won't go off on too much of a tangent but the idea that it's important to be able to deal with failure because it is a real consequence it is a real part of life so you know a lot of kids out there young trainees out there might be listening and you know being grateful for the opportunities that you've had maybe you never had to have a part-time job in order to you know fund your education or fund your your passion for athletics or whatever it is um so you know kind of breaking through that shelter to really realize that life is hard and you will face rejection and um and and you will fall short sometimes but the only thing holding you back from that ultimate success is yourself so that that's what my rainbow would say the only thing holding you back from success is yourself so just keep going don't let anything stop you and you will you will uh achieve your your goals and optimal performance awesome so on point thanks Dr. three pointer for... three pointer yes thank you uh dr p for being on the show and uh aubrey if you're listening make sure you shut her out and downs you next time on your next single please we need Downsview gina's are dying to hear you shout them out. we're yeah. buying your albums we're going to your concerts please thank you awesome thanks dr p we'll chat later thank you mike ciao thanks so much dr dinota for being on the show today it was really great to hear your perspective and to hear all the things that you've been up to in this past uh, 17 years or so since we were last in school together. It just goes to show that with enough hard work and determination, you can get to where you want to be. And it's really, really great to see you doing so well and for your message and for what research you've been doing to be able for other people to see that and and understand that and it was great to have you put it into you know terms that I could definitely understand and how you were able to contextualize it for sports and for athletes was was great there's so many parallels between 
what you're doing with the police force and what athletes go through. And that's a, it's a big reason why that the police are always searching for athletes and particular hockey players to join the force. And it's, it's really because there's so many parallels. There's team dynamics and there's a lot of similar stressors that go on in, in athletic performance that would be of importance and of great use to an officer of the law and when you're dealing with you know critical situations uh, it's important to be good at making decisions while under pressure so it was really great to hear your perspective on all the things and to to hear all the things that you know we've thought about and uh, with respect to the mental health issues and offering some you know ways for people to actually act um, you know as a way to stack on top of just opening up the lines of communication those are so so important for the people to have uh, tools that they can use so it was great to converse with you um, I'm glad we didn't get to the part where we started talking about the uh, the old notebook that I um, messed up of yours uh, but we'll leave that for another time. Um, thanks so much, guys, for listening. Uh, I hope that you got a lot out of this episode. I know I did. I learned a tremendous amount from um, talking with Dr. Denota today. Uh, obviously, as one of my old friends, and to be able to reconnect is great, but to just hear her perspective and her take on things is obviously really eye-opening, and it's a really embodies the shifted mindset and the mentality and the mentality and uh how to look at things differently with perspective um to help uh to help with eliminating the early judgment of things and that's that's really what we need to do so yeah that's what we aim to do so um this is uh, it's been a great episode, and we really appreciate you guys uh, listening. And if you're still listening, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll uh, continue to give you guys as much as we can. And uh, have yourselves a great day today.